0: This is Kate Moorhead in the podcast, Find It, The Vital Signs of the Spiritual Life. Today we will begin to focus on the third vital sign, G for grow. Richard Rohr wrote, If change and growth are not programmed into your spirituality, If there are not serious warnings about the blinding nature of fear and fanaticism, your religion will always end up worshipping the status quo and protecting your present ego position and personal advantage, as if it were God. The physical body is always moving and changing. Cells are born and cells die. Children grow. Elders age. Hair gradually changes color and texture. Nails grow. Skin changes according to wind and weather. There is no sitting still in the physical world. The same is true in the spiritual world. There is a strange myth that permeates Christianity. In this myth, or image really, heaven, the goal of all life, is seen as stagnant. People sit on white clouds in heaven, playing harps. It sounds rather boring and bland. This powerful image makes us think that the goal of salvation is to remain the same, that heaven is a place where things never change. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus never said that we would be paralyzed in heaven. He never said that things would remain the same forever. Just because eternal life doesn't end doesn't mean that it doesn't change. Life is all about change. Even in death our bodies change. Why shouldn't our souls as well? Jesus said that we would be given eternal life, and as far as I've ever seen, life means growth and life means change. Eternal life must then mean eternal growth and eternal change. There is nothing boring or stagnant about that. It is fear that most often causes us to resist change and growth. Human beings are innately afraid of the unknown and change is a direct encounter with the unknown this primal part of our nature makes sense when there is a great storm we want to stay safe in our homes children are comforted and even strengthened by stability and predictability we must know for sure that we are loved in order to have the courage to accept and even embrace change even though stability comforts us This world, in both its physical and spiritual aspects, is constantly changing. The planet rotates on its axis. The cells of our body grow and die. There is no holding still in this world. If we do not take on growth as an opportunity, then we will still keep moving, but we will be moving backward and not forward. Staying the same means regressing. If a woman moves into a newly renovated home in the 1950s, within 10 years it will no longer be considered new or even desirable. People age, material objects age, and shift. There is simply no way not to change. The unknown is scary to us. We would rather stick with the status quo, but even when we try to remain the same, the world moves out from under us. When I lived in Connecticut many years ago, I moved in across the street from a very old woman. She kept all her curtains closed. Her bushes grew up to block the light from shining into her windows. I knocked on her door to introduce myself and when she opened the door, I could see that she had a large infected wound on her calf. Her house dress was dirty and there was a stench that came from the front hall I asked if she was okay and introduced myself. She said yes and closed the door quickly. This woman was trying to block out the world. For the next few weeks I continued to knock on her door every few days and she continued to make excuses as her leg grew more red, swollen, and began to ooze fluid. No one seemed to drop by. Finally, I got scared and called a social worker who had her admitted to the hospital. After rehab, she did return home, but refused to open her door. Months later, the mailman called the police when her mail backed up. She died alone on her kitchen floor. This woman tried to keep change at bay. She tried her best to say the same. She locked her doors and closed her curtains. She did her best to halt time itself, but it didn't work. She died alone because she was frightened to be alive. In her fear, she ended up taking the biggest step right out of this physical world all by herself. She died alone. I felt so sad that she had to face that ultimate change on her hard kitchen floor because she, she was so afraid. To live is to change and grow. So long as we are alive, we will change. The question is, will we fight the change or lean into it? Will we shut the door and lock it, or will we open the door to growth? Growth is an opportunity that God presents to us each moment of our lives. We are given a chance to learn from everything, from the dandelion that blows in the wind to a car that cuts us off in traffic. We can learn from every experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And what is most mysterious is that we learn the most when we fail and suffer. The best kind of growth causes discomfort, fear, and sometimes even pain. Therein lies one of the many dimensions of the mystery of the cross. When Jesus told everyone to repent... The word he used was metanoia. Metanoia literally means to turn outwards to God, to turn away from the self and towards the Almighty. Metanoia is the opposite of paranoia, which means to turn into the self in fear. Just like the earth rotates, we are constantly turning. The question is, which way will you turn, to the self or to God? Metanoia or paranoia? We pivot every moment towards one or the other. It is the fundamental choice that each human being makes. Who will you serve? If we choose to grow towards the light, then there is so much to learn, and so many ways to learn. All forms of education and learning, at their best, are forms of curiosity and even worship. To be fascinated with the world in any aspect is to do it honor, to give it your attention. God wants us to see the creation that has been made, to marvel at it and study it and learn to reason. God made us for this. In her insightful book, The Color Purple, Alice Walker writes of Shug, a beautiful black nightclub singer who expresses her understanding of God in this way. I think that it pisses God off if you pass by the color purple in a field and don't notice it. In other words, God is showing off for us. Like a playful child, God says, Here, look at what I just made. Isn't it beautiful? Look at the intricacies of the atom, the magnificence of a quark, the speed of light, the complexity of the human brain, the glory of a sonata, the luminosity of the moon. Don't waste your life trying to fix yourself or be obsessed with yourself. You were not even designed to look at yourself. God did not make the mirror. God made the trees, the river, and the snow. Look outward and see the works of the Holy One. Once a person begins to look outward and to grow, that person's relationship with God expands, even without them knowing it. Many people who tell me that they don't believe in God don't believe in some small version of God that they made up. Meanwhile, they are fascinated by a diamond and awestruck by jazz. Mathematicians seek to find solutions, historians to remember the past and learn from it. Scientists study the workings of the physical world, while writers seek to describe it. All of these kinds of disciplines are exploring the world— They are ways to listen and observe forms of growth. All of them speak to the reality that there is much to learn in this life. All of them essentially are founded on the notion that life is worth living, an adventure worth taking, a lesson worth learning. All of these people live in a relationship of fascination and engagement with the world and that kind of relationship is one of respect and even awe. Allowing the created order to teach you is on some level to acknowledge that this same order possesses a wisdom worth understanding. It is an act of devotion. There can be no living spiritual life without growth. Given this fact, how can we direct and inspire this growth? One thing we can do is read the Bible. It sounds so mundane when I recommend that you read the Bible. Of course you would say that. You say, I can hear the average person thinking that thought all the time. But it is one of the best ways to grow. Believe me, it's not just because I'm a priest that I say this. There is nothing like reading the Bible every single day. In our ordination vows, priests in the Episcopal Church must state that they believe, quote, the Bible to be the word of God and to contain all things necessary to salvation. Why, of all the vows that we have to take, does the Church stress this one? Because it is at the root of who we are. When we say that the Bible is the Word of God, we do not mean that a pen came down from heaven to write it. We mean that God inspired people to write it, all different kinds of people, for hundreds and hundreds of years, At first, the sacred stories were passed verbally. Devout people were asked to memorize them, a practice that many religions still adhere to today. At some point, these recitations began to be written down. The first texts were scrolls, and they were made in such a way that you could just add on to them, because the ancients did not believe that the scripture was ever really finished. They felt that God could always add more. It wasn't until the fourth century after Christ that the Church canonized the Bible. To canonize the Bible meant to shut its covers, to determine which books were in and which were out. Funny how that sounds like they made a weapon of it. Back in the days in which Genesis was written, there was no such thing as a book, not in the way that we understand it today. No one produced a piece of writing that existed between two covers with a beginning and an end. There was no such thing. The closest Hebrew word we have to the word for book is sefer, which can best be translated as something recounted, or another translation might be scroll. A scroll was not not some writing shut in between two covers, it was an open thing. Additional swaths of scroll could always be added to it, stitched onto it, which seems to have been very common in biblical times. There was an open-ended quality to the writing. It was still going on, always open to additions. It did not end. A book at this time most often was assumed to come down from an anonymous tradition. Authorship was not understood as a kind of possession or as a way to recognize the author. Authorship wasn't even considered important until the time of the prophets. Scholars can detect different strands of authorship in the book of Genesis and in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Different writers would often refer to God by different names, hence scholars might refer to those various voices as the Yahwist or the Elohist, depending on whether the writer used the name Yahweh for God or the name Elohim. Scholars imagine that the Yahweh started the scroll first, the Yahwist, And later the Elohist added writing and then another source, later named the priestly source. Robert Alter, a great translator of the Hebrew scriptures, writes, Enormous energy has been invested in discriminating the precise boundaries between one document and the next. And yet the Bible that has come down to us is a beautiful and coherent piece of artistry. I like to think of it as a mosaic or a tapestry, the myriad of authors and voices like threads that are woven together to create a piece of extraordinary beauty. Like a choir of many voices that produces an otherworldly sound, or as Robert Alter describes, there are other works of art that evolve over the centuries like the cathedrals of medieval Europe and are the product of many hands. It was a collage of textures of writing, and because the life of any one individual was not considered so important, the voices just sang together, and over the centuries became a whole story, a witness of sorts. In other words, the Bible is a work of art, shaped by God through the audio and then literary voices of people who told an ancient story. And as a work of art, it must be approached not just with the intellect, but with the heart. It must be absorbed and felt and sensed. The Bible is a tool for growth. Another item which is essential to studying the Bible is the understanding of ancient language and the limits of truly accurate translation. The Old Testament or Hebrew Scriptures is quite obviously written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, Koine meaning common Both of these ancient languages had much fewer words. Therefore, when we translate the Bible from the Hebrew or the Greek into modern English, we are taking a massive ancient word that had all kinds of meanings and dimensions, and we are forced to select between, on average, 14 to 17 very precise and narrow English words. What happens when we translate the Bible? It is inevitable. It is unavoidable that we will drastically limit its meaning. There is no other way. To bring scripture into the vernacular is to shape and influence its meaning, to make choices and to drive it into a limited sphere. That is why many Muslims simply refuse to translate the Quran, because they know that it cannot be done well. To translate is to limit and to interpret. We must always keep this in mind, This is why Bible study in community is so essential. When you struggle with the meaning of a verse in the Bible, don't just write it off or complain. Go deeper. Examine the roots of the language. With the internet, language translation is so much more accessible to us, even to those who have absolutely no foundation in the ancient language. So don't stop digging and unearthing. Translating these ancient scriptures is a bit like archaeology. We must dig deep to plumb the depths of its meaning. So, the Bible is like encountering art, and it is like going on an archaeological dig. But the most important aspect of the sacred text is that it is alive. When we say that the Bible is the Word of God, we are saying that the Spirit of God moves in and through it, and this is real. To read the Bible is to enter into a relationship with it, and it will change you, but it must be read daily and regularly. Like any relationship, reading the Bible takes time, and it takes commitment, and it is one of the essential pieces of spiritual growth in the Christian walk. (music)